following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. All right. Good morning, family. So I'm already in really good spirits. Come Now Fount is actually one of my favorite hymns. And uh, that came from, my appreciation for hymns came from when I was at Bix. So I know one of the classes that Daniel's taking. So this holds a special place in my heart. Uh, so before we open up into scripture, let's um, turn to the Lord. Lord, we just want to thank you for who you are and your goodness to us. Just the fact that you sustain us day in and day out is just such a gift, Lord. Um, we're thankful for your grace and your love. Thankful for the family here. Uh, we're thankful for your word, um, that we can open it up and read it for ourselves, um, and that your spirit helps us to interpret it. I just pray that um, the scripture this morning would sink deeply into our hearts. I ask all this in your son's name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, which is on page 983 in the Pew Bibles. But we, before we turn there, um, I just want to mention a couple of things to give a little bit of a background on the book of Colossians. So at the time of Paul's writing, Colossae was a small town with a newly established group of believers. And in Paul's letter to these new believers, he covers two major topics. In chapter 1, Paul focuses on relaying the gospel, um, and right away he makes sure his audience knows about the saving work of Jesus. And so from chapter 2 to the end of Paul's letter, he instructs the Colossians on how to live, having received the gospel. And he's instructing them on how to live their lives um, now that they've been changed by the Spirit and have heard the good news Paul covers these two major topics because as a newly established community of believers, they were still learning the basics. And with other religious influences all around them, um, Paul wanted to make sure that they were going to be led in truth um, and not be swept away by all the popular um, teachings and beliefs of the time. So just those two things are important for us to understand. And they're important, important for us to understand because it's the first step um, in helping us interpret uh, this morning's message in scripture. We could approach this morning's passage uh, knowing that Paul is delivering the gospel for the sake of salvation and for instruction. So verses 15 to 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, 
not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So all of that is less than just 10 verses. In less than 10 verses, Paul packs all of that richness um, into what scholars believe is a poem. And there's just pages and pages of commentary that I read on why it's a poem, how it flows in the original Greek, um, and just the use of language and the structure. And all that did make it into the first draft of this uh, sermon, but I decided to spare you guys from that. Um, So instead, we're just going to jump right in and examine why each verse of this poem has such richness um, and what Paul tried to convey to the church in Colossae and what we can get that um, from that today. And just one more side note, because there's so much into each verse alone, um, some of them have been broken into like um, a subsection, so like 15A, 15B, um, because they just are long um, one thought. So it's just a long strand. So with that said, we're going to look at verses 15a, which says, He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the Son of God. The Son of God in whom we have redemption is the image of the invisible God. And even clearer, Jesus is God. The topic of Jesus' divinity is something that has been debated uh, within the church for hundreds of years. And so for hundreds of years, people have been trying to, to decide and question whether Jesus was just a good teacher or if he was truly Lord. And I have a quote and two verses from scripture um, to share on this topic. The quote is from Billy Graham, and he says, Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, and the story of his life, death, and resurrection is the greatest news the world will ever hear. And the first piece of scripture is John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father. And the second is also from the book of John, chapter 10, verse 30. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I and the Father are one. And so I want us to make no mistake and proclaim that Jesus is truly Lord and is indeed the image of the invisible God. Jesus is God in the flesh and perfectly reflects the character of the Father. Verse 15b says, the firstborn of all creation. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and he is the firstborn over all creation. The second half of verse 15 also has raised debate. There are those in the church that believe that Jesus was created, that he wasn't fully God, that he's not eternal, but he was just the first created being. This is also completely false. Scripture attests that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all one and all three have existed since before creation. All three have been in perfect unity with one another and are inseparable from each other. The idea of firstborn is not referring to Jesus' nature, but his position as the Son of God being over all creation. In many past cultures, and even in some today, it's traditionally the firstborn son that gets the inheritance, which could be either money, workers, or an estate. But Paul's not saying that Jesus is the first created being. What he is saying is that like an inheritance, Jesus holds that high position of being over the church, 
powers and principalities, and all creation. Jesus is in a position of honor over all creation. Verse 15, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So any uncertainty about the previous verse should be wiped away after this. For by him all things were created. So this morning I'm using the ESV, but the NIV translation uses the word in in place of the word by. And I'm going to get a little nitpicky about this because it's important. Uh, It's important because the first and last phrase of this verse are tied together, and both phrases lend to a deep insight into who Christ is. So for this reason, I'll be using the word in instead of the word by. So that then reads, for in him all things were created. All things were made in Jesus Christ. All things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all of these were made in Jesus. So think about what that means. What are the implications of this statement? Over the last year and a half, we've all been either hurt, enraged, or grieved by all that's been going on. Some of the things we've had to deal with are because of um, the country that we live in. But within the past year and a half, these same struggles have been felt globally. Yet, however we've been affected, when we read this verse, our spirits should rejoice. Is Jesus not greater than rulers or authorities? Is he not greater than disasters? Is he not in control of all of these? Paul mentions thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities in heaven and on earth because at the time, the popular teachings of the day that I mentioned before were starting to make their way into the Colossian church. False teachings that elevated heavenly beings and diminished Christ were beginning to pop up. And Paul wanted to quickly remove this falsehood from the church. As believers today, we must remember that Christ is supreme is in full control. To give further assurance on this, the phrase, um, last phrase of this verse says, All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the Son, the one through whom the Father made the universe. So God is, the Father is the ultimate source, and Jesus the Son is the instrumental workman of all creation. Creation was called into existence through Christ and for Christ. All creation exists to do one thing, to give him glory. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So we as created beings bring glory to the Father. We bring glory to the Son and we bring glory to the Spirit. Likewise, all we have to do is just look around creation and see that plants, animals, oceans, mountains, stars... All of these things have been made to attest to the power and glory of God. Verse 17, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 17 explicitly states uh, what was implicit in 15 and 16. Jesus is before all things. There was never a time when Jesus did not exist. Not only did he exist before all things, and not only did he create all things, but in him and through him, all things have been held together and continue to do so. 
Through him the world is sustained is prevented, and is prevented from falling apart. Think of all the things that Jesus continually sustains. Your life, my life, all believers that make up the global church, non-believers, animals, stars, planets. The same God that holds the planets in place is the same God that is giving you breath at this very moment and that is continuing to make our hearts beat without us even having to think about it. Our Savior Jesus holds all things together. Verse 18a, And he is the head of the body, the church. So in other areas of Paul's writings, he likens the church to a body. He explains that the body is made up of many different parts, just like the church is made up of many different people. And as different parts of the body serve different functions, so don't the members of a church. However, the head of the body seems to be a reserved place, or in a reserved role. Paul states that Jesus is the head of the body and the head of the church. We as believers belong to the church universal and can declare Christ as our head. Uh, 18b, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Paul has phrased it uh, several different times in the past few verses, but here again, Paul mentions the idea that Christ is the beginning, that he is first. So this particular use of the word beginning is translated from Greek as arche, and what it truly means is to be a source or the source, or the first cause of something. So now the second half of verse 18 is all one thought. And what Paul is stating is that Christ is the first to be raised from the dead and delivered into glory. After Jesus' death and resurrection, the Father received the Son into his presence and restored glory. This was according to the Father's plan so that Christ may be preeminent. But preeminent over what? Before what? Christ's ascension has started a new age, and while his ascension is presently unique, this is our hope uh, for the age to come. Christ had to be first. It's only because of him that we have this hope. Because of Jesus, if we profess him as our Lord and Savior and have received the Holy Spirit in our lives, we too can be expected to be restored into glory. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is verse 19. In case it wasn't clear by now, Paul spells out the divinity of Christ plainly. He says, in him, that's Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So this verse is the height of the entire poem. And all the previous verses in this passage tie into it. Through Jesus Christ, God the Father reconciled to himself things that are on earth and that things that are in heaven. And how? By the peacemaking blood of Jesus. Before Jesus, we were at enmity with God. We weren't inclined to obey him. And the joy of obeying God the Father was destroyed when Adam and Eve chose independence in the garden. For all that time, mankind had a fallen relationship with God where his wrath could be expected. But now, because of Christ's atoning work, God's wrath has been satisfied 
and the relationship between God and us has been restored. Sin and death have been defeated, and now for the believer, glorification is assured. Uh, Verse 21 to 23. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Again, this is where Paul wraps up the whole gospel in these verses. Um, We were once alienated with God, with no desire or inclination to obey him. Yet he has restored us to himself by the work of Jesus. If we continue stable and steadfast in the faith, and are presented with the Holy Spirit, um, we are presented as holy and blameless before him. And that is a powerful display of God's grace. This is the God that we serve, one who seeks us out to restore us to himself, not because of anything that we have done, but because of who he is. So if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning, I encourage you to remain steadfast in the faith and run the race that's been set before you. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior this morning, I encourage you to call upon him, confess your need for him, and ask for his spirit to make you a new creation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we just thank you for your word, uh, the scripture that we can read to know more about uh, you and your son, your nature, and your plan for salvation. We're thankful that we have been included into it, Lord, uh, not because of anything that we have done, but because of who you are. Your nature seeks us out and wants to restore us to yourself. I just pray that you would... um, Encourage anyone who does uh, profess Christ as their Savior this morning and anybody who has not uh, known your Son as the Savior um, yet that you would just um, soften their hearts and make them a new creation, Lord. Send your Spirit to them. ask all this in your Son's name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.